0: Hello and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for October 2010. I'm Jennifer Griffiths, Managing Editor with ACS Publications. In the October issue of ACS Chemical Biology, we feature six research articles and a letter. We also have a review by William Wimley on using the interfacial activity model to describe the molecular mechanism of antimicrobial peptides. The article from Mitchell Lazar, William Zurcher, and colleagues introduces a new biochemical assay that can measure the interaction between the orphan nuclear receptor Rev-ERB-alpha and a peptide from the nuclear receptor co-repressor 1, which was subsequently used to identify a small molecule ligand for the receptor. In other research, reported by Hugh Rosen and coworkers, small molecule inhibitors of NADPH oxidase proteins are identified by high throughput screening. In another article, researchers led by Neil Ghosh describe a solution phase split luciferase assay for native protein detection. And John Turchi and colleagues report the results of in-silico screening of a virtual small molecule library for inhibitors of the Xeroderma pigmentosum group A protein. We'll be talking with Ghosh and Turchi later in the program. In addition, an article by Larry Garris, Manfred Auer, and co-workers describes an automated confocal nanoscanning and bead picking method for on-bead screening to identify a small molecule inhibitor of transport of proteins and RNAs between the nucleus and the cytoplasm. The letter by Andrea Jochim and Paramjet Arora contains a systematic analysis of available examples of small molecules that inhibit protein-protein interactions to identify common features of complexes that have been successfully targeted. And finally, Derek Logan, Par Nordland, and Carl Magnus Larsen report several crystal structures of the class II ribonucleotide reductase and the resulting structural insights into the mechanism of radical generation and transfer of this protein. Now, we'll talk with Neil Ghosh. Hello, Neil. Hi, Jennifer. So first, could you explain the mechanism of a split protein reporter?
1: Sure. Most proteins, if you split them into two pieces, don't come back to pollution spontaneously. Now, certain proteins, if you cut them with a lot of precision at certain places, they still don't associate. But what you can do now is attach two new proteins that you know interact to these originally cut proteins. Now, what you're actually doing is replacing the loop by these proteins that non-covalently associate. So now, if these guys come back together in solution, then you get a signal, okay? So that's usually how most of the split protein reporter systems work. And originally, this was found by Vershavsky and Johnson at Caltech over 16 years ago now using ubiquitin. And since then, the reporter systems are more colorful, like GFP or lactamase or luciferase, and these have been developed by different groups over time, and they're very useful for studying mainly protein-protein interactions.
0: So in this article, you chose to target vascular endothelial growth factor, the gp 120 coat protein from HIV-1, and the human epidermal growth factor receptor. Why did you choose these particular proteins?
1: So almost everything with the split protein systems, you actually have to attach the protein that you're interrogating directly to the split protein. So the question we wanted to ask was, what if we didn't have to attach anything? What if we wanted to actually detect a native protein in solution in a cell-like situation? So now what we're doing is, instead of having two things come together, we're having three things come together in solution. So that if you have either VEGF or one of these proteins you mentioned in solution, then the reporters come together two of them bind it, and then you get a signal from whatever the protein is, in this case, luciferase. So now the choice of proteins, that's an interesting question. So there are a couple of reasons. One was a simple challenge, that these are difficult targets. They have lots of disulfide bonds. They're hard to play with. So antibody fragments are difficult. Cell surface receptors are difficult. So there was a simple challenge that drove us to try this. And then there's relevance. As far as human health goes, Something like VEGF is called the vascular endothelial growth factor. So basically, if you have tumors, then they lack oxygenation or blood supply. So VEGF is the molecule that lets tumors grow new blood vessels. So you'd want to kind of detect tumors, and VEGF serves as a surrogate for trying to see this. And HIV is obvious that if you can detect HIV, it would be nice. And if you can actually detect the virus cleanly. And HER2 is, again, one of these proteins that has been targeted by many different companies even. For example, Herceptin is a drug out there that for breast cancer, and HER2 is the cell surface receptor that is directly related to breast cancer. And so we wanted to actually do two things. Just simply, can we do this? Can we apply this methodology? And two, can we apply it to things which are clinically relevant?
0: So how did you get interested in this area of study?
1: So, a while ago, while I was still at Yale as a postdoc, I uh, developed the first split GAP system. And we were actually studying basic biophysics of protein folding, and we were curious about how loops in proteins help proteins fold. How long can they be? How short can they be? And can you just cut them? And in this process, I came across the Barshavsky papers and then looked carefully, and then we actually designed the first split GAP system that a lot of people now use widely. And the problems with the system is that it works really well. The signal is very robust. And one of the problems we encountered was that once it comes back together, it can't fall apart. So then we thought that what are other proteins you can use? And we looked into different types of proteins. And the lucifer system we use in this paper was developed by pure worms at Washington University. And that provides thermodynamic systems. So basically that means that you can actually see it go back and forth between two states, an on-state and off-state, depending on what you're trying to detect. So it's a cleaner signal trying to identify any kind of analyte.
0: Finally, what are the next steps in this project?
1: So in the short term, it's easy that we want this to be practical. We want this to be useful. A lot of people would like to image any protein they're interested in cleanly in solution in a cellular context. So how do we now take these tools to that step where it's actually useful for any biologist or anybody in a clinician to actually use? So that's a simple short-term goal. The long-term goal would be that, can we use the same approach to make a therapeutic or something that actually controls cell fate? Could you now have maybe two things coming back together in solution, say that it sees her too, and then it wants to kill the tumor cell. Is there a way to actually design things that come back in solution and cause a change in the cell fate? So that would be the really long-term goal of any project like this.
0: Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Jennifer.
0: We continue to define chem glossary terms on the air. This month's keyword is large unilamellar vesicle, or LUV. An LUV is a single bilayer vesicle, 0.1 micrometers in diameter, containing 100,000 lipids. These are large relative to the smallest vesicles made by sonication. Now, John Turchi joins us to discuss his article. Hi, John. Hi, Jennifer. First, why is it important to study the nucleotide excision repair pathway, and more specifically, the xeroderma pigmentosum group A protein?
2: Well, the nucleotide excision repair pathway, or NER, is a critically important pathway for repairing DNA damage that we are exposed to every day. UV sunlight induces DNA damage, and it's repaired through this NER pathway. Other agents some common cancer chemotherapeutics, like cisplatin, induce DNA damage. And they also are repaired through the NER pathway. So understanding how this pathway works is kind of critically important from both an environmental perspective and exposure as well as in the cancer chemotherapy. The xeroderma pigmentosum group A protein, or XPA, is a protein that's critically important in the pathway. It's absolutely essential for this pathway to function properly. And it plays a very interesting role in the context of recognizing the DNA damage. And so this DNA damage can be seen in a wide array of structures that the XPA protein must recognize. So it has a pretty unique DNA binding mode that we're interested in understanding.
0: What are the advantages of using in silico screening to find inhibitors of the protein?
2: Well, in this case, the XPA protein is a pretty interesting DNA binding protein. But its activity is not that good, and a lot of attempts to try to inhibit the binding by using high throughput screens were kind of unsuccessful. And we ended up taking the in silico approach to really get around that limitation of just the mass screening technologies that are out there. And what it enabled us to do is really try to focus on the DNA binding site, and although relatively little is known about it, target that specific region. So it allowed us to essentially screen through a larger series of compounds in silico then kind of pick out the winners that ended up having the activity we wanted and confirming them through the in vitro analyses we presented.
0: How did you get interested in this area of study?
2: We've always been interested in nucleic acid enzymology in my laboratory, so from my time as an undergraduate doing research and through graduate school and then postdoc training, we've just been interested in protein DNA interactions, and XPA is just a very interesting one in the context of its differential activity in recognizing DNA damage. We've been very interested in trying to target these pathways for this pathway nucleotide excision repair for therapeutic benefit. One could envision trying to inhibit the repair of, say, cisplatin DNA lesions, that chemotherapeutic drug I mentioned to try to sensitize cells to the agent. And so what you'd end up being able to do is maybe reduce the level of cisplatin treatment, reduce the toxicity while having the same anti-cancer activity. So it kind of converges a lot of things we're interested in in straight biochemistry and understanding protein-DNA interactions all the way through some potentially important clinical utility.
0: So finally, what are the next steps in this project?
2: Well, the next steps are to try to really develop the agents that we've identified already through this in silico screening and assess their cellular activity. It takes a fair degree of chemistry to get them permeable and into a cell, as well as with a high enough affinity to try to hit our target in a cellular context or even in an animal model. While the in vitro analyses are a great start to that, there's some pretty hefty work ahead of us. And we're also looking at trying to identify the DNA binding site for XPA through these small molecule inhibitors. This chemical genetics approach has proved very useful, and we know very little about how the XPA protein really does interact with DNA, and so the uh, analysis of these molecules and how it disrupts that interaction will tell us more about how the protein really does what it does. So those two areas really developing them for uh, therapeutic benefit as well as trying to interrogate how this protein does what it does and binding DNA are probably the most Two important areas we're actively pursuing.
0: Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, we'd like to highlight some interesting content you'll find only on our website. In Ask the Expert, we give you the opportunity to pose questions directly to top scientists in the field. Our current expert is Dr. Sheng Ding, Associate Professor at the Scripps Research Institute. He will be fielding your questions about the use of chemical and functional genomic tools to study stem cell biology and regeneration. Submit your questions for him today at www.acschemicalbiology.org. To learn more about the authors of the papers in the current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors feature in print and on the web. This month, we meet six young scientists Cliff Staines, Tracy Nairer, Daniel Grant, Geza Ambrus I. Kellen, Jennifer Furman, Andrea Jochim, and Sarah Schuck. Read this section to get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. That's it for this month's show. Join us next month for more ACS Chemical Biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit www.acschemicalbiology.org. Thank you for listening.